0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Ball & Chain podcast. This is episode four. I am Mark Thomas, your host, uh, co-founder and CEO of Zensports. This episode of Ball & Chain is brought to you by Zensports, which is the peer-to-peer mobile sports betting app where anybody can come in and create and accept sports bets with anyone else in the world without the need for a centralized bookmaker. Uh, So in episode three last week, we talked about uh, just all the stuff going on in the world of sports. Uh, The fact that most of the leagues are not going on right now. Most of the major sports leagues do not have games going on right now whatsoever. All of the major sports leagues have either canceled or postponed their um, events until summertime 2020 or later. In some cases like the Olympics, they postpone until 2021 altogether. And uh, in the sports betting world, this has completely, of course, impacted everybody because there's almost no sports to bet on whatsoever. So people are are having to resort to betting on very random sports leagues across the world. We had a customer who let us know that they were betting on Taiwanese basketball. Uh, we've had people tell us that they're betting on chess or marble racing. But uh, one of the things that hasn't really been talked about but is really Gaining a lot of steam here with the fact that people can't uh, have major sports leagues to bet on, can't really congregate in large arenas, is the proliferation of, of, of esports and betting on esports, and and really could esports be the saving grace that brings uh, sports together right now during this time where we don't have a lot of the major leagues going on, like NBA and Major League Baseball and NHL and so forth. And it it just so happens, actually, uh, on a personal note, uh, Zen Sports, uh, you know, because we're a sports betting app, has to kind of get with the times and make sure that we are uh, offering the types of things that people are going to bet on right now. So we're actually going to be launching esports for betting in a few weeks. That all being said, I personally don't know jack squat about uh, esports. And so I have brought in today Ari Fox, uh, the CEO of Casino Esport Conference. Who is knows a lot more about esports than I do, and uh, is going to be able to answer a lot of my questions and everyone else's questions today uh, about exactly you know what esports is all about, <clears throat> how does it fit in with the overall sports betting landscape? You know what is the future of esports, especially if people are confined to their homes and not able to go out uh, as easily or frequently to enjoy sports like we used to? Uh, maybe this is you know the future of sports. Maybe this is something that we're looking at in terms of uh, this is going to really ramp up as, as people can't do the things that they're used to doing from a sports perspective. So, uh, I'd like to welcome Ari Fox. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Ari. Uh, how are you doing today?
1: Good, thanks, Mark. I'm happy to be here. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's um, definitely, um, we're sort of in a very strange time, uh, right now with the world. Uh, you know. I, I don't in my lifetime ever recall baseball season being postponed or canceled other than like the strike or, you know, even when uh, I can remember when I was a little wee little child and Thurman Munson was in a, a plane accident, you know, how right. detrimental that was for the, for, you know, the, the actual sport itself. But there's definitely things that are beyond our control that I think that, uh, it, uh, it changes the world in overnight and you're looking at, and you know, people in your position where you, you know, you work in a lot in the sports betting world from conventional sports. It's, um, it's a question of what do we, what do we do now? Where do we go now? And, uh, you know, that, that's a great question. Um, there's a lot of, Changes that need to be made, and you know, though, unfortunately, in uh, in the background of sports wagering, um, and from the gambling perspective, everything is slow to move unless it has to move. And now it has to move. Um, it was slow to move, but now it has to move. So in order to survive, so that that's where we're at.
0: Yeah. And, and real quickly, anecdotally, I mean, the only two sports stoppages I ever was a part of uh, growing up were it was the uh, cancellation of the 1994 baseball season. Mm. And the actually there was maybe one other delay to the start of, uh, I think, one of the late 80s, or early 90s seasons. Uh, but the big one that sticks out, of course, is the uh, 1994 season that got canceled uh, midway through. And then the uh, NBA lockout shortened season where they only played 50 games in 1999 to 2000. Yeah. But both of those seasons uh, still had uh, either half or the majority of games played. And they were really labor, you know, disagreements. They weren't uh, pandemic and world changing events that led us down this path. And I think you're spot on. This is uh, really uncharted territory for pretty much everybody and to agree with you on the sports betting side that sports betting is definitely one of the legacy industries that is slow to change, slow to innovate, slow to move. And, uh, really is only going to be able, really is only going to do so if they're forced, if their hand is forced to, and, and you're definitely already starting to see that because right now there's almost literally no sports betting going on right now. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, Billions and billions and billions of lost wagers and billions and billions of lost revenue.
1: Well, Um, I've been I've been been, you know before the pandemic, I've been preaching for the last I don't know six years to the gambling industry, to the wagering side of industry, esports, 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 esports. And there's a lot of reasons why I was preaching that. We can get into it later, but you know I've been I've been a big proponent of. You know, and I'm not a millennial. I'm a Gen Xer, which is the forgotten generation. Ah,
0: same here. I am too.
1: Yeah. But we've, we're, <laughs> we're that generation though that, you know, we've, we've been alone. I mean, like I was a latchkey kid. My mother worked when I got home at, and I was ten ten 10 years old. I go home. I was by myself. So being home and isolating at home, even in those days, we didn't even have the internet. So, you know we had to we had to use our imaginations to entertain ourselves so you know i read an article recently like you know gen xers are now getting all the all these accolades for being able to entertain themselves at home because i mean we grew up that way right we, you know no we were home alone because that's that was the time when moms and dads were working so we were by ourselves or with our brother or sister, somebody that was there that watched us or took care of us. But most of the time we were always home. We wouldn't go anywhere.
0: <laughs> right. And I remember for my birthday, it was either 1988 and 1989. Uh, I got my first Nintendo uh, set. It was the 8-bit set. Yeah. And I was just hooked. And I, well, so actually taking a step back, even when I was like four or five years old, a kid in the neighborhood had the old Atari, uh, the original Atari and uh, Pac-Man and uh, Donkey Kong and all those games. And I just, I, I tried everything I could do to make an excuse to go over to his place and play. And I just was fascinated that you could be interacting with the TV, not just watching, but interacting with it and playing a game on the digital screen. I mean, it was crazy for the technology back
1: in those days. Yeah, but Um, it's funny how a pandemic changes things. I mean, I think a year ago, two years, the World Health Organization came out and claimed that video gaming and gambling was addictive. Now they just came out with an article that said that it's a, a, a special pastime that people should enjoy doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and I mean, that's a whole separate topic in terms of, you know, what the experts think and how they change their mind so frequently. It's, uh, I mean, I, a lot of it is, is what they, you know, uh, you know, intrinsically want or philosophically want their, you know, kids to do, you know, they don't want their kids playing video games. So they're going to come out and say, oh, it's bad for you, right? Right. When, you know, reality is, is that things that are keeping kids entertained, keeping them, you know, out of trouble, you know, not, you know, breaking the law and stuff like that. I mean, th- those things should be encouraged. I mean, everyone well, takes their own path. Well, and I, pers- I personally outgrew video games once I got to college, yeah. but I I, I I totally advocate for people that have passionate, uh, you know, interests like that to, to pursue them. I mean, there's, there's there's really, I mean, who are we to judge what somebody else wants to do in their fun time?
1: Well, you know, the thing is, it's, everything is driven by politics, Mm -hmm. politics, power, and money. And, um, and, and there's a big, and I could say that across every, every ecosystem, including the conventional sports ecosystem and including, you know, what I mentioned about the world health organization and our own politics, but, Mm -hmm. but in regard to, when getting more into video gaming and esports, there is a lot more um, truth and authenticity to why people are playing video games. It's not just—I mean, there's so many there's so many layers in this ecosystem in video gaming, and I've learned and studied about all of them over the last ten years in regard to getting in. Learning the communities of people that actually make the video games, mm-hmm. um, from independent game makers to publish, to big publishers, um, and then also from the from the other side, there's like sort of sub communities of these major video gaming communities, and those sub communities are people who, you know, we talk about esports, but esports is only about ten percent of the video gaming ecosystem. It's not the entire ecosystem. Many, many, many of those nine billion video gamers that they talk about around the world are casual game players. They're not competitive video game players. So there's a big difference between those.
0: Right. And let's actually use it as a segue into kind of the next topics, which are really kind of defining the difference between esports and casual gamers. So this is a good news, bad news sort of thing. Uh, Bad news, as I mentioned at the top, I have... Very little familiarity with the esports arena. Definitely a lot of familiarity as a kid playing, you know, video games and gaming. Um, so I'd like to start there. Is what is really, um, what would you define as like the core difference between actual organized esports? Like what does that entail versus just your casual gamer who enjoys playing video games on the weekend? Well,
1: over the last few years, you got to you got to There's been an, an evolution um, of of different variations similarly to copying what we have in conventional sports. So there's been, um, let's, let's take from the very beginning, sort of the base of, of all, you know, video gaming. If you go back 25, 30 years um, at the University of Georgia, they had um, a space invader competition. So it was, that was kind of like the first e-sport competition. But these are people who were, you know, passionate about their video gaming play. Um, and, you know, it was the highest score was the winner kind of thing. It wasn't peer to peer. It wasn't playing against another competitor person. And it was before the internet. So, you know, fast forward to today, you have all these casual gamers that I mentioned about the 9 million, 9 billion casual gamers around the world. And then you have your subs, your your people, and they're passionate about playing video games. Um, and then the the majority of those nine billion billion people are playing video games for a social pers- a, a social reason. That's how they socialize with one another. It's how they interact with one another. Um, they meet online and they play as a team or they play against one another. And people actually meet. Um, and become friends online, or they're friends before they go online, and they meet in, in you know, in like a Grand Theft Auto kind of thing or a Call of Duty kind of thing. So that's the base there. And now we're taking it over the last, I would say, five six years, you are taking it now to another level, where you're getting now collegiate esports, high school esports, um, and then the professional levels of esports with the teams and orgs they call them orgs or organizations the reason why they're called organizations is because a team consists of a team for specific esport or a specific game so a team saying like uh like team liquid team liquid is a org but within that org you have teams for different games so you'll have a League of Legends team, you'll have a maybe a CSGO team, or, or Counter-Strike team, <clears throat> you'll have a Call of Duty team, Rocket League team, so there's all these different games that are subsets of the organization that exists, <clears throat> and there's different organizations with different names, 100 Thieves, uh, you know, as I said, Team Liquid, uh, uh, NRG, which is out of Uh, san francisco that's the actual org but they're called the san francisco shock so there's a lot of um different layers and areas to understand um in in regard to this it's a it's a lot of people try or from the conventional sports side they try to familiarize themselves or compare uh conventional sports to esports but i've always said that there are some simila- similarities in regard to <clears throat> people who are fans of, the, of these um, video gaming teams and players, um, and then that's a similarity, but, and then the leagues are also somewhat of a similarity to conventional sports, but I would say overall, there's really nothing you can compare it to. It's a very different type of experience completely. Um, and going in with an open mind is the best way to, I think, experience video game competition or esport as we call it.
0: So that makes sense. So what platforms are most of these organizations running their, uh, organized competitions on? So I'm obviously familiar with Twitch. They're based here in San Francisco. Is that the primary tool that people use to run organized competitions? Are there other ones out there and, and how do they go about forming that and then going up and, 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 and setting up, uh, competitions, competitions against other folks are there like organized leagues with round robin schedules is it like uh, yeah. ufc where they organize right. matches
1: right so like um the league of legends league is or um is it runs from a certain period to a certain period of time however there's collegiate league of legends that are played differently and this is what differentiates esports to regular sports So eSports, at any given time, at any given moment of the day, there's competitions professionally going on around the world. There's different leagues. Um, There's um, the League of Legends is is run by um, Riot. And then there's the um, Overwatch League, which is run by Blizzard. So Blizzard is an actual publisher. And they make the rules and regs, and Riot makes the rules and regs for League of Legends. League of Legends, I mentioned that one is, is because it's one of the more popular and also has the l- largest uh, following. And the publishers in this in this in this ecosystem are really the ones that hold all of the the reins in how they they um, roll out. The,
0: and the publishers are like the NFL or Major League Baseball type of thing, right?
1: Not exactly, because the NFL. Remember, football was created by somebody. I'm not sure who the creator of football was, but I know that the first football game took place between Rutgers and Princeton. You know, I don't know 1905 mm-hmm. or something. I don't know something ridiculous, some long, long time ago. Um, and um, baseball came, also was created by Abner Doubleday, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So he, these are the think of the publishers as the actual creators of the games. Oh wow, so those guys, yeah. So those guys, Double Day and whoever created football, I have no idea. It was probably somebody in a college level, and I, and I think basketball too was created at a college. So think of those people who created the games from the very beginning. Now those are the publishers have that kind of rule, so they're not actually the NFL is actually a. Developed league of, uh, of players that have representation, that have um, that have uh, unions, all of that stuff. Esports isn't even there yet. It's just developing to try to get there. Although some of the things cannot be comparative mm-hmm. because we're not dealing with an organization like the NFL and the people that we're dealing with that created the games are still around. So they can't take the rules and regs like they could take for baseball and football and give it its own life. Like, you know, Abner Doubleday is long gone. The guys who created football are long gone. Yeah. I just
0: checked. It was Walter camp.
1: Right. Walter camp. Okay. So all these people are long gone, although the game itself has taken on its own. It's its own business. It's its own you know ecosystem and it's got its own rules and it's got everything and they adapt those rules you know you know just perfect example is like you know um the the rules have been that have that have come into play in conventional sports like replay in baseball for example right you go to new york to like have somebody look to see if it was a home run or not right because the umps can't so technology. Is sort of play-to-play, play, but these things can be adapted and can change. The people who in esports hold all the reins in changing the game are the publishers themselves or the ones, the Abner Doubledays, that are currently the ones that create those goals.
0: Interesting. So do you think like a large organized body, again, again like the... NFL or major League baseball will come along and want to either purchase the rights or license the rights to these games and then run organize actual like leagues leagues that then also get things like TV rights and stadium deals. Well,
1: the only way That's they can run the leagues on their own is if they own the game. They don't own the game. The game is owned by the publisher. So
0: could you ever see them white labeling or licensing the game from those publishers?
1: Yeah. Well, I, well, what I see is, you know, cause my background, I, um, you know, I'm also know the indie developer community or the community of people that create video games. So mm-hmm. any of those people that create a game that the NFL wanted to invest in, into and create their own league and their own game, they can purchase that from, uh, an independent game developer. If they were going to go ahead and purchase it from an actual developed publisher, it's going to cost a lot more money. And I'll tell you what's, what's happened here. So there's a publisher, as I mentioned before, called blizzard and they're out of California.
0: Are they competitors to Twitch? Cause I have heard of blizzard.
1: Okay. They're not a competitor. Let me explain about Twitch. Think of uh, Twitch as ESPN. Think of Twitch as a broad, it's a broadcasting, uh, they fit into the picture as a broadcasting network. So because esports is its own ecosystem, it's got its own audience, it's got its own, um, you know, kind of viewers, those viewers, we're talking about millennials and Gen Zers, mm-hmm. they don't want to watch commercials. They don't want to be sold anything. Although they ended up getting sold stuff anyway, because you know at the end of the day, when you have an esports tournament like um, League of Legends or an Overwatch that's a professional tournament, it's sponsored by Toyota or it's sponsored by you know Mercedes or Louis Vuitton or somebody like that. So they're getting sold anyway indirectly, but they don't like to be sold directly. And you know when you look at conventional sports, there's you can't turn on a conventional sport game and not see an ad. I mean, it, they're everywhere. Right. And so. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> so, so younger people like, you know, they're so used to like TV on demand, um, Netflix, you know, and paying to have no, nothing being sold to them. That Twitch is sort of that kind of a answer. It's like, I want to see what I want to see when I want to see it. And I don't want to be told when I need to watch it. So Twitch is like that kind of thing. Yes, they have live, live, live events on Twitch, and people want to see it live, of course. Mm -hmm. But then if they miss it live, they can always watch it at another time. So it's like the you know the viewer or the fan is in control.
0: But can't anybody just go onto Twitch? So I mean that's very different than ESPN. Like I can't go broadcast my Tuesday night pool league on ESPN. Uh, They wouldn't. You know, touch that with a ten foot pole, but right, if it's right. like Twitch, anybody can go on there and get right. anybody
1: and, and Twitch consists of not just video game um, competitions and esports, but it also consists of streamers who have their own shows, and you know, uh, and everything in between. It is an open broadcasting system that anybody who wanted to start their own. Um, you know, talk show or anything they wanted to do it live and then have it recorded and people to watch it later on, they can do that. And the way Twitch works is the higher your subscription, uh, the the more people that you get to view it and the higher your subscription is, then they're making money on selling, you know, the higher amount of subscriptions and viewerships that you're getting on Twitch to advertisers.
0: So wait, so are the actual uh, gamers they are selling their subscription to be able to tune into their broadcasts. is that correct
1: well what's happening is for example i don't know 100 thieves if you went on that's an actual organization that's located in los angeles so they have their own besides actual playing the games and competing professionally their players um you know they have side stories and they do like um you know they have um you know they do like videos, funny videos or interviews of different players, you know, when they're not actually competing. And, you know, the more fan buildup they have, the more um, exposure they get, the higher viewership they get, the higher numbers they get, um, the more popular they get on Twitch, then Twitch pays them back residual. So for example, if you get like, you know, you have like 6 million or 7 million viewers on Twitch then whatever um, Twitch is making on advertising, because they do have ads. Like if so I
0: was going to say, yeah, where do they fit in from the ad network perspective? To yeah, be able so
1: they, to- so they, they only can sell ads based on the amount of people that you're getting. So if you're getting a lot of people, that's what I'm trying to say. If you're getting a lot of people as a, as a broadcaster or as having a show on Twitch, um, then Twitch takes the amount of viewership, and then says to like, I don't know, Pizza Hut, I have seven, eight million viewers for this guy's show on my channel. Do you want to advertise? And this is how much it costs per viewer. Uh, and then Pizza Hut's like, yeah, sure. And then they go ahead and they advertise on that channel with that show. Twitch shares the, the ad revenue and it goes back to the person who has that amount, it goes back to the person who has the show. So instead of like making a show like they would on channel on any channel now, like ABC, NBC, or instead of like the New York Yankees selling the rights of their uh, play to uh, ABC or whatever, whatever network it is, someone or anyone can start their own channel or their own show on Twitch, build up the amount of people that are watching that channel, watching that show, and then Twitch is making money based on the viewership that that person is built. And that like, I think it's this is one like, of it's like Go ahead. it's like Ninja. Ninja is a very popular um, player. He's not an actual esport professional. He doesn't play professional video games. What he does have is a stream, as they call it, um, and he streams playing video games with people like Drake and stuff like that. Now, he had 13 million followers. So Twitch was making a lot of money off of him, and he was making a lot of money from Twitch because he had X amount of followers. Drake was? Uh, No, Ninja. Oh, sorry. So Ninja was making like, I don't know, somewhere around $500,000 a month. Wow,
0: I'm really fascinated by this this concept where basically anybody can become, uh, you know, a an influencer, star athlete, whatever you want to call it in esports. Whereas, obviously, in regular traditional sports, I mean the 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 chances of becoming a a superstar NBA player are, are are you know one in several million. Whereas here, it feels like everybody has a platform, everybody has a way to get noticed, and if you're you know, if you work hard, you're dedicated, you're willing to put yourself out there, it it feels, and and you're good at marketing and you're just even in general, just kind of maybe a smart business person. You can really, really, um, you know, make a name for yourself, make a lot of money and have a lot of, have a big audience and a big following. If you know how to like work all the angles and use the platforms to your advantage.
1: Well, it's easier said than done. I mean, someone like Ninja had, I mean, the guys playing twelve to thirteen hours a day. Okay, on online, talking to it, you know, talking to his audience. And that's the other difference between esports and conventional sports. In esports, the players themselves that have their fans interact with them directly, even play video games with them directly. Um, you know, for fun, when they're not playing professionally. So, and get to know them. They get to, pe- the actual fans get to know these players intimately, like everything about them. And they spend, you know, 10, 15 hours a day practicing or scrimmaging, sometimes with their fans, sometimes with other professional players. And it's, a, it's enormous dedication. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of, um, Patience. I mean, guy like Ninja, who who made a name for himself. You really have to have the right mix. And speaking of mix, he went from Twitch, and then jumped to Mixer. Mixer is another streaming channel that's owned by Microsoft, and that was a huge, like you know, uh, a big uh, coup against Twitch because they lost a major.
0: Uh, I think up. I heard about. I think I heard about that, and I just am checking on Ninja. He's got five point six million followers on. Yeah, Twitter. something crazy. So I but, mean that's more than most. I, I don't know. I, maybe LeBron has more, uh, but very few professional athletes have that many followers.
1: Right, and but he's not even a professional video game player. I mean, he he plays Fortnite, um, and a lot of his followers are younger. But I mean, he doesn't. He's not even a pro player. Uh, he's just an influencer, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um so you know there's a lot of variations it's a very big ecosystem and 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 we you know I mean from your perspective you know you talk about sports wagering why is esports so um much bigger than conventional sports and uh, in regard to wagering because remember there's multiple games multiple platforms anytime during a 24hour 365 day a year period you can find an actual pro game going on right. in, in anywhere it could be in Poland it could be in South South uh, South Korea it could be in London in Europe anywhere anywhere and so you can always find a pro match between any pro teams and so then and then now we're bringing in college too so now colleges are going to start having esports teams as well. They already do. i um, most of them do. Um so there's an enormous um you know um a huge uh sort of uprising that creates another um place where people can create bets but I think the barrier to entry is that the punters that Like, like, like yourself with this, you know, you, they're not familiar with the rules, the regs, the, the statistics. And, um, I always said, and recently this just happened because we're in this horrible pandemic which i'm pulling my hair out and going crazy but you know yeah um, we are <laughs> uh, yeah so, it, you know
0: being cooped up and her house arrest
1: is not fun <laughs> oh no it's just i i i i'm i'm, I'm at my girlfriend's house in connecticut and we, i usually i'm I, my, my house is in new jersey but i've been cooped up here with her which is fine i don't care but you know it's sort of like a You know, you're, you're really confined. And I was, I just said to her, I said, listen, if I have to live like this the rest of my life, I'm driving my car off a cliff. I can't help this. This is crazy.
0: People, people won't do it. I mean, there's going to become a point where if we do not have the ability to go out, um and start living our lives again people will just rebel and say screw it i'm out i don't care i'll yeah. take my chance okay. i mean there just I will come, come a point where people
1: I will die say i die at the end of it yeah
0: yeah so, I, I mean people are not going to be under house arrest for uh you know 9 12 18 months it's just yeah. not, not even six months it's not yeah. gonna happen
1: yeah but anyway so my point is that um what i was getting to is that the situation i think um when you when you discuss the you know um the abilities for esports are so vast and so large that I think that you you come to a, a situation where betting on something can be done at any point in time. Um and what I was getting to was that um esports also lives online. I mean that's where the communities are. The communities are all online, which is why it's flourishing right now, why it's so big right now. But I feel the first barrier to entry as I said, is the fact that they don't understand the games. However, right. recently, Formula One um, had about close to 1.8 million viewers of an eSport Formula One race that was done by professional Formula One drivers and pro eSport Formula One players.
0: Wow. And, well, oh, oh, go ahead, sorry. and it
1: was bet on. It was it was it happened in Europe and 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 now we're talking about Formula One. So, what are the games? I think that are going to be the games that people can bet on. Right, that's going to be one of them. That, that as far as video games are concerned, um, uh, NBA Two K, Madden, NF, the NHL, um, uh, you know, MLB. All of these are all versions as versions of video games for it.
0: Well, you already see it with NBA Two K, right? So during the lock or during the uh, lockdown, uh, all the NBA players have been uh, uh, streaming on Twitter and other probably places, platforms as well. Their NBA Two K matchups, and I, so I'm a Bucks fan. I'm originally from Wisconsin, and uh, the Bucs and Mavericks, I believe, did an NBA Two K or it was another virtual simulation. Yeah, Ma-
1: Mavericks actually have an esports team for NBA Two K. Really? They're called, wow. the, they're called the Outlaws.
0: Wow. So cool. So how many, I mean, how many, uh, NBA 2k teams are there out there?
1: Well, uh, I,
0: th- cause I think that's fascinating. I think that's a really big one.
1: I think the Celtics have one, uh, Mavericks have one, uh, the Lakers have one. Um, I believe the New York Knicks have one. I think a lot of the, a lot of them do. They all have professional esports players that play NBA 2k.
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, because I, b- the thing is, is that, you know, if people can see that and match that, match those like statistics, match up the way those players play, and it's so real, and it, it, it jives with how those players play in the real world, I easily could see people gravitating towards that from a betting perspective, because then it does become more like what they're used to. And I agree with you 100%. People aren't going to bet on what they don't know. Right. Um, so there's clearly going to be a learning curve. But I think once that learning curve is achieved and we get past that point and people feel comfortable that it's a real thing, they will bet on that. Now, that leads me to my next question, which I think is also a real biggie. Is is there an opportunity for uh, for fraud or, or mischief where uh, the, the, the gamers are, are, quote unquote, gotten to? Uh, and uh, told to rig it right and so obviously you don't have that issue with professional sports because they all make so much money none of them would ever risk their millions of dollars to uh, help somebody win fifty thousand bucks uh,
1: uh, 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 astro well
0: okay well Tim is a, a separate situation <laughs> yeah so we all know about that uh, so I'm not 100 I won't, I won't I won't say it's never happened before okay but but um, it's, it's extremely, extremely, extremely unlikely from a professional sports league perspective. What is your take on that being a potential roadblock uh, in eSports?
1: I really think it's less likely to happen in eSports than it is in conventional sports. And the reason really like is because computers, there is built in to a lot of these um, platforms that these guys play on. Uh, There's artificial intelligence that's built in and they have something called anti-cheat software. These are uh, software. So every time a pro player in eSports goes on to either scrimmage online or play at all online, they have to log into these particular games. And they have a specific login and password, which the publishers hold. The publishers again, hold a lot of the power, know a lot of their statistics we're learning that, I mean, other people are big p- picking up on their statistics without the publishers because the publishers are not willing so much to share um, the information. But when a pro player goes on, they have to log on and they have a specific IP. Uh, you know, they have a specific address. They have a specific uh, um, uh, identification on the computer. And all the time that they've become a pro, they have something called the twitch rate, which is where we get the the name twitch from. You know they, the name of it, but the twitch rate is the how many per, uh, times per second they're moving, hitting buttons, you know, moving their joystick, uh, uh, clicking on their keyboard. This is all tracked electronically. It's all tracked, whether they're playing for money or for not. So. When they're going into a real match, any variation, any change in how they played, you know, for real, when they were playing to win, and then how they may be playing is going to be very, very difficult for them to fake it, because the computer will catch them every single time. Right. It's not like if I were, you know... Um, any rookie baseball player that came up or any basketball player or football player. And, you know, somebody paid me a lot of money to throw the game. I mean, this could happen in college football all the time too. So we don't know what happens there too, because people could be paid off.
0: Right. But I guess the thing is, is that unless you get to the, say the quarterback, like a a rookie uh, right fielder in baseball is going to have, sure. They could have somewhat of an impact, but their impact likelihood is a lot less uh, than that. Whereas with esports. Obviously, I'm assuming you have teams, but you know, it couldn't be one plus
1: because you're getting paid more. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they would throw the game for other reasons. So, mm-hmm. in, on a conventional level, so we couldn't tell if there's a fly ball that goes out to the right fielder and that person just doesn't catch it for whatever reason. We don't know if he could have catched it or he should have catched it. And the same goes for a wide receiver in football. Maybe he should have caught it. It was an easy catch. It should have been. There's many times we've seen that. Do we know if they're throwing it or not? Well, according to statistics, looking at it from a conventional perspective, from a non electronic computer expect- uh, perspective, um, because that's what you would be able to, you know, you only look at like when that wide receiver is catching that ball. Every single time that play has been run, he's caught that ball every single time. No one's tracking that electronically. Right. That's only tracked based on the actual play of that person. So in in eSports, everything is tracked electronically. So there's okay. almost like an, an electronic imprint.
0: Got it. Well, and that's – that. okay, so that's, that's really cool and interesting because um, that actually leads me to my next – Set of questions, which is around kind of the concept of blockchain, cryptocurrencies, decentralization. So, within Zen Sports specifically, uh, we have our own cryptocurrency utility token called Sports. Even though we offer people the ability to bet in dollars or Bitcoin, almost 100% 100 of the bets in our app take place using the Sports token. And eventually, we're going to be moving the betting contracts between two parties uh, to the blockchain. So, do you see an opportunity for esports to also have an even further digital imprint? Uh, on the blockchain or using cryptocurrencies to transact just given the already electronic nature of esports and, and what it brings.
1: Oh, it already is. There's, 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 there's betting sites called lock There's betting sites called unicorn, which actually has its own crypto
0: currency. Right. Unicorn gold,
1: right. Uh, unicorn gold. There's, there's, uh, you know, pinnacle takes cryptocurrencies. Um, uh, you know, um, multiple multiple um esport betting wagering sites and there's a lot of them now they've i've i know the owners of many of them and they're all taking cryptocurrency because it has to be there has to be especially today because especially with esports and video gaming because the audience is a younger audience and they have to know who's who's paying or buying or making that wager right that they're old enough, because otherwise they'll get shut down.
0: There's no paper tickets.
1: <laughs> no, I mean the truth of the matter is, it's like you know, if you're getting a a, a casino or a gambling license from the Isle of Man, which is the 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 world world um, uh, top um, license to get, if you're going to get a wagering license, um, they're not going to put their stamp. Um, whatever you're doing um, uh, lightly. They're not going to give you their stamp of approval if, if they don't approve of what you're doing, if you don't have certain regulations involved. If you, so cryptocurrency is one way to make sure that the person making that wager is the person that they're a person of age for that particular bet that's wagered. And then there's other things that, you know, there's verification software that's in play, you know a lot of the a lot of these websites these wagering websites they want to be accountable because if they're going to get involved in esports you know esports has a very young audience now it depends on the game particularly though for like a, a game like counter strike which is big in europe um that has an older demographic and of course you know then you look at a, a a game like fortnite fortnite has a younger demographic now, there are older people that play Fortnite that are 21 or older or 18 or older, depending on what the age of wagering is, but the majority of the demographic of that particular game are probably 18 and younger. So they wouldn't, you couldn't really bet on Fortnite. You won't find a lot of ways that you can wager on Fortnite.
0: Right. And so that actually probably uh, leads me to my uh, second to last question, which is, um, what do you feel is going to be the real impetus for esports taking off from a betting perspective? Is it what you mentioned before, which is just getting more information out there so people feel more comfortable with uh, how it works and what the likelihood of certain outcomes are and statistics? Or, uh, I mean, for example, you have a Black Swan event like we have right now with coronavirus, uh, keeping people at home, wanting to do that. What do you see as the next step to getting people really actively excited and interested in betting on esports?
1: Well, let me ask you this, Mark, for a perfect example. When a punter wants to bet on football or soccer or any sport of conventionality, how do they know the rules?
0: It's just something that they probably grew up with, right?
1: Right. Well, they grew up with it, or maybe they played it, or they've watched it, and then they understood it because they watched it. I mean, nobody's going to bet on a football game if they don't understand the rules. And that can happen whereas they either played it as a with a bunch of friends when they were a kid or they played it in high school or college or they watched it and someone told them the rules, their father or whomever. So my suggestion is, is that if you want to bet on esports and you have a nephew or a, uh, a younger person in your life that you can talk to, it's now time for the older generations – to go to the younger generations and those younger generations to, to explain to the old generation, how that game works. What are the rules and regulations for the, for that game? And that's the only way I think people are going to learn, go into a room with your son, with your daughter, with your, you know, uh, nephew or your friend's kid and sit down and watch them play a video game and ask some questions. So that's, I think the only way anyone's really going to learn.
0: Yeah, I mean, my, my dad took me in the backyard, and we you know, played baseball, and uh, he got me excited into watching uh, football exactly. and basketball, and, that's and it why passed you run, on from generation to generation.
1: And that's why you run this, because <laughs> you're, <Right>? you're, <laughs> you're passionate about about sports, conventional sports, and I think when people start to open their minds up and go in with an open mind about the different games, they'll also become more passionate about the video games and esports, and that's why you know um, I'm uh, from a from a from a fifty thousand foot well actually not like a five thousand foot perspective. That's why I run my conference. It's a business to business event that teaches um, executives um, from every aspect of um, uh, from sports wagering to casino ownership to gambling to everything in between and anyone that just wants to offer a different mode of entertainment, they come to my event in Vegas, um, which now is going to be in September, but it's, you know, the casino eSport conference is there to educate for those who not only went in and sat down with their younger person that they know of to learn about the video games, but also then to figure out all of the different, you know legalities behind it. What are different states doing in regard to esports, and how is that being developed? And I think this year, more than any other year, is going to be much more uh, bigger than in every year that we've ever had because it's it's now something on everyone's radar.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because that was going to be the, the thing I wanted to wrap up with here is is your conference. So the Casino Esport Conference CEC. Uh, what's the website again?
1: It's c e c o n f dot com.
0: Perfect. And, and so, yeah, that was going to be my question is, is do you foresee like an entire um, I don't want to call an attitude shift, but an entire new outlook by those attendees, by the casinos, by the sports books and those that are in attendance to really, really embrace esports at this upcoming year compared to the other years in the, in the past that you've run it.
1: Um, Yes. Um, Majorly at this point. So you have companies like William Hill Um, Betfred, um, SB Tech, all these different old school wagering, uh, sports wagering companies that now are looking, I mean, they're losing billions of dollars every day. And in order for them to be able to pivot on a dime, they're going to have to start instituting video game competition, esports, on their platforms. Because if they don't do that, then God forbid something else like this happens again what are they going to do? Exactly. They'll, they'll be losing.
0: Like uh, so, dollars yeah. And I mean, that's, that's exactly the problem right now is that all these sports books and all these casinos are, are shut down, making nothing. Mm-hmm. If theoretically they had been ready for this and you know, we all, we all, lear- we all are learning in real time as we go through this, you know, what to be prepared for next time uh, they would, they would be ready and prepared and would be able to be accepting bets well so,
1: they said failure is a, is failure is a mode to to um, you know, change the way you're going to do things in the future. It's how we learn. Um, but again, I've been preaching. I've been the guy that's been on the rock saying, you know, the end of the world is coming, the end of the world coming with a, with a sign and a long beard and nobody paid any attention to me. And now all of a sudden <laughs> everybody's going to be coming to my conference, which is, you know, not that I want to stand there and now say I told you so. I want to say, listen, this is this is where you come to learn and to to really give yourself that safety net, not only the safety net, but also to bring in a younger generation. So, you know, we know, I know if you've looked at statistics, and I've done a lot of that, um, you know, baseball's been losing audience, and, 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 uh, you know, they did compare viewership of the, um, the the LCS, which is the League of Legends Championships uh, series, to the to Super Bowl, and they did have a, a very very large viewership, somewhere around 314 million people tuned in or something around the world to watch the LCS. So there's there's already competitive numbers in regard to viewership. The numbers are not, you know, th- that's what's really pushing this entire thing. It's you know, it's like why is Facebook so You know, so so worth so much money, it's worth so much money because it has like, you know, three billion users or something. So the bit the amount of eyes that are going towards esports, the amount of eyes are going to or towards video game competition and play is really what's changing this entire conversation. And they're they're gaining very quickly, if not now. There'll be more like esports when we all go back to normal, when baseball begins, when when football begins, when we all go back to normal and we're where everything's hunky dory, yeah, a lot of people are gonna be like, eh, that was just a that was just a you know a fluke. You know, esports was, you know, getting all this attention. There'll be people that do that and they won't learn the lesson. And you know, then there'll be people that are gonna say, you know what, I really have to have esports in my repertoire of things that people could bet on. And those that started early, and we're talking about unicorn, we're talking about pinnacle, uh, luckbox, all these other wagering sites that just do esports wagering. Those are the ones that are going to be the bigger, the bigger fish in the end of the day. Because as I said, there's always an esports game going on. There's always an esports match to bet on. It's twenty four seven. There's no seasons. It's not like baseball season, football season, where those those fanatic fans of those sports have to wait around for those seasons. It's like that. There's always a, there's always a match. There's always something they can bet on. And that's why the, these guys that planted seeds early may even get bigger than the older, the older crowds, like the William Hills and bet Fred's, and they may end up buying out the conventional sports. So the conventional sports will be part of the repertoire, but esports will be leading the, leading the charge.
0: I, I completely agree. And anyone that's not, quote unquote, any sports book or sports betting platform that's not diversifying their portfolio with with eSports, I think is is really going to uh, miss out on a big opportunity, not just if there's another pandemic, but also just in general in terms of reaching the younger generations. Um, so so Ari, this was this was amazing. I, I really I personally learned a ton. Uh, I know our viewing audience, is going to just be pretty blown away by this conversation. And uh, you know, I'm definitely interested in having you on again, maybe as we get closer to your conference in September, sure, uh, we could definitely do another chat or maybe we could do something because uh, I'm interested in attending it. So uh, we should definitely hook up when we're there. Maybe we could do a, another podcast while we're there or before we're there. Right. Um, we afterwards. We have
1: a great repertoire of speakers at the CEC uh, that actually are sports wagering people and that are doing just that they're building up their, you know, their, their repertoire and building up their, their books so that they include esports as part of their offerings. So there's a lot of people that are going to be there that you can learn from. Um, and again, it's, it's September 8th through the 10th. It's at the Luxor in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, and it's dot uh, com. If anybody out there wants to check in and, you know, get a ticket, it's, where tickets are available we we were originally going to be in june but we moved that off to september so because of the pandemic but right. you know it's it's something i think that everybody's got to have um, and it's going to be huge it's going to be really really big and there's going to be new games that come out there'll be new games too it's not just the games that we already know of there'll be more games that come out that's what's so exciting about this it's a never ending volley i didn't even touch on you know how in the future, esports will actually be mixed with conventional sports. You will see actual video gaming mixed with uh, God-given uh, physical um, abilities to do things in with video games. It will be a crossover between computers and actual physical abilities. So new games will be created where guys that do play football – or might be interested in doing something of a physical type of eSport, that's going to be the future. I think that's probably next two, three, four years.
0: Yeah, no, I 1000% I, I, I agree. Um, so I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to this. And I'm, l- I'm looking forward to us offering it, for example, in our platform, I'm going to learn a ton. I'm excited to see our customers be able to bet on something during this time, where they can't, I think this is a great learning opportunity for just everybody to get into something new. And to like, I kind of, I, I don't want to use the word diversify, but kind of, you know, branch off into other areas, uh, just super, super exciting um so yeah with that we'll we'll wrap up here uh can't thank you enough Ari for your time you've you've been terrific again excited to connect at the conference and um uh definitely looking forward to uh to seeing more about the future of of e-gaming and esports. and uh yeah thank you so much for joining us today
1: oh thank you for having me appreciate it anytime